Well, hello and welcome to episode 185 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is still most of them somehow, and talk about the good, the bad, and the Sea Tech astronomy. This week we're going to be talking about sneakers on your Too Many Secrets podcast. So Matthew, this is a movie you picked. Yes. So movies about trainers, right? It took me until like the <laughs> end of the movie to actually understand where the title came from. Because every time I hear sneakers, I think about shoes, mm. and I was like, "That's just a really weird movie title for computer it, caper movie." It, it is, but I like it because it stops it from being a computer caper thing. Mm-hmm. It's not called hackers right. or. Digital counterterrorism, something mm-hmm. you know. Well, because it's not yeah. actually about computers. It's it's not. No. I mean, they're stealing a device, right? And so they're having to yeah. use computers to kind of get around things, like changing the temperature and stuff. But mm-hmm. they're actually stealing a physical device from somewhere. Yes. Yes. So. But yes, I love this film. I adore this film in many, many ways. I think this is one of the great films, and it's mm-hmm. it's saddens me that it just didn't find an audience when it came out Mm -hmm. just for whatever reason like people saw it it didn't do terribly well but at the same time it didn't go gangbusters like i kind of feel it should i mean i mean this is proto mission impossible yeah you can almost you can see um tom cruise watching this and going do you know if you had a bit of action in this this would be quite fun Mm mm-hmm and, yeah. and then going and making Mission Impossible, that first film. Well, it had a phenomenal cast. I was surprised I had never heard well, of it mm. when I saw the cast list because, yeah. I mean, Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd, Mary McDonnell, Ben Kingsley. It's got Sidney Poitier in it. And I, I mean, I, I adore Sidney Poitier. Mm-hmm. He's just has so much gravitas. Mm hmm. And the role is perfect for him, for someone like that. And the role is perfect for Dan Aykroyd. And the role is perfect for Robert Redford. They're bringing a lot of Robert Redford's baggage with them. The fact that he was in huge numbers of thrillers and sort of, you know, investigative things during, certainly during the 70s. Mm-hmm. And then in the 80s, he did fewer things, but he did more directing. So okay. a little bit different. But they are bringing some of that. Um, was he in the Parallax View? Was that? Warren oh, Beatty. I have no idea. Um, the but, only thing I really know Robert Redford from is The Horse Whisperer. Okay. <laughs> this is not that. No, no, it's That's not. for sure. I think, it, didn't he direct that one? Um, but he was in he was in films like The Candidate and, I mean, Butch Cassidy, not, isn't this? All the President's Men. I'm looking at the list. He's got so much on the list. It's hard to find the ones I want to talk about. But there were lots of films like this that he was in. Okay. That I think they're trying to channel by having someone like that this in it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, who else was on that list? Mary McDonnell is is just wonderful in this. Oh, she is. Absolutely. It, it feels like she's been given license to do whatever she wants. And, and you have an age-appropriate romance, relationship love interest going on there mm-hmm. which 
I feel like Robert Redford did not often get. I think he's the archetype for men in their 40s paired up with women in their 20s. Yes. As Hollywood does. So. Mm. It's it's just, it's a... I mean, I'm saying that. Mary McDonald is like 15 years younger than Robert Redford, so... Huh. Maybe it's just he kept his youth and his looks really well, because... <laughs> I mean, not in his last film, because his last film, he looked old as anything. Yeah. Yes, I love this film. It's a shame that it, like I say, didn't find its audience and it and it hasn't sort of lived in the zeitgeist mm-hmm. because when we do talk about films from this era, films in history that did stuff with computers, you talk about Tron and hackers and war games and a few other things, maybe even a Mission Impossible. And maybe this is why it didn't succeed because this feels pretty grounded I mean, I don't totally believe some of what they're doing and, and some of the connect- connectivity they had. I do not believe they could get into those sites as quickly as they were. No. In 1992. But to suspend belief in a Hollywood way, the actual tech going on and the actual discussions about it, quite interesting and quite believable. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm looking up movies that came out in 1992, kind of around this, to see if there was something that just took the audience away and i mean 1992 was a good year for film right we've got Mm -hmm. sister act and we've got the mighty ducks and (laughs) these are movies that i love very much and and aladdin the bodyguard home alone 2 buffy the vampire slayer one of the best sequels of all time yeah but i'm not really seeing anything in this same genre no that would have taken the audience away so i don't i don't really know why it didn't do super well because it is a really good movie like it was entertaining and enjoyable and i found myself like wanting to know what was going to happen next so you didn't know anything about this really going into it so this was not one on your radar at all correct okay like i don't think i had never heard of it until you mentioned it to me is there a point in this? Is there something you can start talking of being like, oh, oh, then I was into the film. When they did this moment or when this thing happened or by this point I was going, this is really good. Or was it just as the credits are coming up and you're seeing that cast list, you're going, oh, oh, oh. Well, so the Amazon blurb for this one, because mm-hmm. I rented it on Amazon, basically says it's a 1992 high-tech computer caper. And that was enough for me to be super interested (laughs) in addition to the cast. So I was, like, ready to love this movie when I started watching it. Um, This is relevant to my interests. Right. And then it just started, like, it starts us in 1969, and we get young Cosmo and young Marty, like, hacking in the computer, which Mm -hmm. I don't actually think you could do in 1969 the way that they did, but... I think the early internet hadn't really been invented by even by that point. Right. But they they moved money and they said the Republican mm. Party just made a generous donation to the Black Panthers and I legit giggle snorted on my couch. <laughs> and that right there made me think, uh, okay, well, you know, obviously this movie has a great sense of humor that has aged really, really well. So <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this. Um, so yeah, it... You know, and, and it had things like um, pretty early on, the NSA isn't chartered for domestic surveillance. Well, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it didn't age well in some ways. Give that nine years. But uh, it, it 
just overall, the cast had really great chemistry together. Right. And everything they did made sense to me. Like, a lot of times you see these movies and the technology doesn't make sense, even when it's clear they're making it up. Mm-hmm. And it made sense to me. And so I enjoyed what they were doing. I never got kicked out because I was watching this technology going, they couldn't do that in 1992. <laughs> right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, it was great, you know, Dan Aykroyd being Dan Aykroyd in a way that's slightly different than what we've seen before was nice. But but still, this is a part they wrote for Dan Aykroyd, right? Yes, yes. No, this like, was like definitely Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> yeah. Every part in this, I think they went, oh, we've got this person, let's go back and do rewrites to make it really good for them. Mm-hmm. And, and it feels like it probably wasn't a long shoot. Like, it's not a, a particularly long film. It's about two hours. Mm-hmm. Robert Redford's in pretty much every scene, but interacting with different people at different times. Mm -hmm. So I don't see this as being like a, you know, many, many months that they were together or something. Yeah. No, I think they just, it felt like a bunch of friends got together and were just working on a movie together. Yeah. And that is something that I did, I did read about it, them talking about having fun making it and enjoying putting it together and everyone bonding really well. So maybe maybe it was even they cast people because they knew there was a pre-existing friendship or relationship there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, though. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a few things that I think the film does that captures me. Okay. And I was, try- I was trying to watch it this time. I was trying to be a little bit more critically critical about it because, I mean, this is a film I think... I. I you know, going back into history, it's the same thing I've talked about with a few other f- films. I think we rented it when it came out. So I saw it on video. I think it was recorded off the TV and I, <laughs> one that I have seen a number of times because right. it's exactly my sort of film. Yes. So I was trying to think, you know, what what is it about this that I think is so good? I mean, you mentioned the fact that we open with young Robert Redford and young Ben Kingsley. And we don't have digital de-aging here. We don't have them in prosthetics. We have different actors. Yes. Playing them. Who look nothing at all like their older counterparts. <laughs> uh, no, I, I would dispute that. Really? The guy playing young Robert Redford. No. I think they have gone, what did Robert Redford look like in The Great Gatsby and Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid? Let's get someone who looks like that. He looks like Robert Redford looked in those films where he was a young man. And he's got the same sort of gingery blonde hair, the strawberry blonde hair, got the tash. Do we know who played him? Because I was thinking it looked a lot like um, not Bill Pullman, the other one. Bill Paxton? Bill Paxton, yes. He looked (laughs) a lot like oddly mustached Bill Paxton, who does not look anything like Robert Redford to me. Oh, here we go. College-aged bishop was Gary Hirschberger. Hirschberger. All right. Who was in some episodes of Six Feet Under. Eight episodes, two episodes of Grey's Anatomy in 2007. Of course. An episode of The West Wing. Oh, he was in In the Shadow of the Two Gunmen. Mm. It looks like he's best known for his role in Twin Peaks. And he was in Twin Peaks. But I don't think you've seen Twin Peaks. I have not. And I've not seen all of Twin Peaks. I do recognize his face, though, so it's probably Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Right. Um, Probably. I mean, you know, as we always say. Everyone's been in Grey's Anatomy. So, no, they were not, you know, famous actors. They're not known things. But they, I, I think they do a really good job there setting us up for that transition so that we know who Robert Redford is. 
that we know that that was young Robert Redford we were seeing, and now we're going to follow him as an older man. Mm-hmm. I like what they do to tell us it is Cosmo when we finally meet Ben Kingsley, because one of the first things he does is the hand magic making yes. a thing disappear trick. And you go, and that's the guy from the beginning. Yes. And it's a, it's a little moment, it's a little character beat, but it's just, it helps us as the audience catch up really quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and and I like that. And I think the film, as it goes on, has lots of those sorts of moments. Just, just helping us follow, because it's not necessarily the easiest plot. This could get... And we have watched films that get convoluted mm-hmm. and stupid, and we've had to sit here and try to decode them and go, so what did they actually do when they did that thing? How did that actually work? Mm-hmm. This film lets us do that. Yes. Great. Awesome. It's really good. And it does that in a few subtle ways that I think we might come back to. Because on the flip side, the other thing it does is this is a film that's very clever. And the film knows it's very clever and I can respect its cleverness. There are films that are clever because they hide stuff from us. Mm-hmm. They just don't give you a bit of information, which when you learn it, at the end you go, oh, it all makes sense because he actually had the MacGuffin in him, on him all the time and it went off the other way. Something like that. Or, oh, Aragorn's coming down the river on the boats and they're going to be saved. Great. Okay. Didn't see that. You know, mm-hmm. you know, twists that are actually like, you just didn't show us the thing. Right. You should have told us that. The final season of Buffy, that bit when they go off and have their telepathic conversation and plan what's going to happen later with the uber zombie, uber vampire, mm-hmm. which we then, they actually show us that conversation after it happens to show us what they were setting up. It's like, so you lied to us to set up a bit of mm-hmm. okay, Yeah. Come on. In this film, they give you all the information. But they do it in such a subtle way, you don't know you're being given information. And then when the people in the film figure it out, you're like, oh, that was clever. It's yeah. like a good crime thriller. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you know, you're watching it, a murder she wrote sort of thing, a Columbo. When you actually work at it, you go, oh, yeah, I can see how this all pieces together. The bit I'm particularly thinking is when they're watching the video of him typing in his password. Mm-hmm. And they keep rewinding it to say... We're trying to work out what he's typing because we can't quite see the keys that he's punching in. And they've just got the audio over the top of it again and again and again. I left a message for you on service, but you never call. I left a message for you on service, but you never call. And and a few minutes earlier, they'd made a comment about him having a an answering machine in his desk. Mm -hmm. And they just sat there going, service, answering machine, service, answering machine. Do you get it, audience? Are you picking up on this? And no, I'm not, because it was a throwaway line. Right. But the information was there and available to me. Yeah. And I love it. I I just, you know, this film is clever. It gave me the opportunity to be clever with it. I wasn't smart enough, but I'm watching a film that is. Mm -hmm. Great. I mean, I'm into it from that point. Okay. Mm. All right. The the thing that I think that I wish they had done that they hadn't kind of along those lines is... Having the Russian guy be afraid of who the fake NSA guys were working for and not telling Robert Redford. Mm. Like, clearly he's scared of them. Like, he knows who it is and he's not telling him. He's offering him protection, but Mm -hmm. won't tell him. And it's, it's significant enough that it's repeated a couple of times before Robert Redford gets out of the car. And so I didn't really understand that beat. And I understand now that it's because the movie was trying to be clever and hold Cosmo back even further. Absolutely. But I think they focused so heavily on it that I expected it to be something different. 
Okay, something even more mm-hmm. significant. Okay, mm, I can see that. Yeah, because I still don't see Cosmo as, and maybe it's just because we don't know enough about Cosmo's mm. business dealings, but I didn't see him as like an uber threat to international governments. No, I mean, he had the line about, he basically works for organized crime. Yeah. The mafia, whatever it, it is at, within this universe. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, if they could suddenly blackmail or take over or move money, it absolutely shifts to the balance of power. Yeah. I, that that scene as well is so interesting because it, it gets into the proper thriller thing of, oh, we're not sure who we trust and we're not sure who's on whose side and so on. And this was a time when you didn't necessarily cast Russians as the villains. Right. So, you know, it's interesting to to possibly have them as the villain here, but then it's not. But the point where the guy, I think they're saying they're FBI at that point, mm-hmm. picks up his gun and shoots the Russian. Mm-hmm. It, it's actually quite a weight on the film because up until that point, you've had jokes about, you know, Dan Aykroyd coming up with things about, you know, conspiracy theories. You've had Whistler um, reading Playboy in Braille. You've had James Horner's score, all sort of piccolos and pipes, and it's a bit light, and it's reminiscent of some of his, like, Star Trek score. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more jovial. This film has not taken itself particularly seriously, and suddenly, significant, important people are killed in front of us, mm-hmm. and our hero is framed for their deaths. Right. <laughs> like, oh, this is this has gone in a different direction. This has now become a proper thriller. Right. Mm, there are stakes going on. Yeah. Because I thought, honestly, in that moment, I thought they really were the FBI, and I was confused. I mean, and I'm still honestly confused why Robert Redford decided to get out of the car. Because if I were in his shoes, I don't think I would have. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm still not sure I understand why he made that choice other than Plot Bunny. Like We needed him to make that choice <laughs> yeah, yeah. to get to where we got. <laughs> It is the thing that they don't lean on. They don't actually tell us. I have always taken it that if he stays in the car, it means he's seeking asylum for the Russians. So mm-hmm. he's definitely an enemy of the state, potentially. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And being hunted down and not able to get the answers because this is that's where the story ends. You end up living in the embassy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's I, that's my sort of justification for it. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. It, it is just we need him to get out of the car at that moment to keep the plot going. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned MacGuffins. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever actually talked about MacGuffins properly on the show, have we? In 185 episodes. I think um, I've asked you what a MacGuffin is before, and you have briefly okay. explained it, but no, okay. we have not. The black box in this is one of the most MacGuffin-y MacGuffins that's ever MacGuffined. <laughs> I think. The, the, the idea that it is a random special object that everyone is trying to get. Mm-hmm. It is fairly standard in most films. But the fact it is so powerful, but actually has no bearing on the overall film. Right. They don't use the device mm-hmm. to steal the device. They don't use the device to outsmart the bad guy or win mm-hmm. or anything in the end. It is literally a box that we're told is really powerful and is moved from place to place. Like, and then you know, at the, the end we're just stones. told it doesn't work, so... Yeah, absolutely. The, the Infinity Stones are MacGuffins, but they are integral to what actually happens during it. And the fact that he gets each MacGuffin as he goes along allows him to get the next MacGuffin and it keeps things moving. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas this is literally a box. <laughs> literally a box that they spend the film carrying around. Mm-hmm. Except for the one scene where they're like, oh, plug it in and do ta- tappy, tappy, tappy things with it. Cool. Tappy, tappy, tappy things. <laughs> yeah. And and I love it. I, I love that it is this super powerful thing. But what defeats it is espionage spy, you know, getting recordings of voices and walking slowly across a very hot room. And Right, right. It's cool. Whistler driving. <laughs> Whistler driving was amazing and made me smile. Like, it warmed mm-hmm. my heart for him to be driving. He's a very cool character. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's quite nice he gets that moment because he gets a lot of very good moments in this, mm-hmm. I think. But that moment is like, oh, the film's again gone back a bit to being silly and jovial we now have the blind man driving a truck across a uh, parking lot mm-hmm. yeah silly silliness and fun and light again yeah because they're not going to do anything serious and dangerous at that point surely not with yeah not not at that point because we're already past well at that point we think we're past most of the danger right mm. you know they're getting ready to get away before yeah. cosmo appears on the roof and even then cosmo doesn't shoot him no so hmm. yeah he does give it he does give him the box in inverted commas he gives him a box because because again we know there are two boxes but they've never called attention to it after that first time right and, and they've never said he took it with him but of course he took it with him yeah it's a smart thing to do mm-hmm. mm. yeah it it is you're right it's absolutely a clever film it's an entertaining film it's a clever film and it's one I think I wouldn't mind watching again. Mm. I think I think it absolutely holds up. I, I think there's enough small moments in it that make it hold up. There's, there, there were things just as I was watching it going, and, and we're probably just basically into favourites here at this point. Um, that as we're watching it, I'm like, oh, we need to watch this. This is really good. So when he walks in to see Mary McDonnell, and she's seated at the piano, and there's this glorious piano piece being played. And she then looks up and stares at him and the piano piece keeps going. And Robert Redford's reaction of like, wait, I thought you were playing that. And he sees this really small young girl (laughs) sat behind it playing amazingly well on it. Yeah. There's no point for that shot. There's no point for that comedic moment. Mm -hmm. It's just a really nice, fun thing. It's, It's gloss on top of an already very good bit of media. Yeah. But then it just makes you smile. And the the fact when they're doing the tappy, tappy, tappy bit on the uh, MacGuffin books, the blind guy is sat feeling the Braille output counter thing, whatever it is, mm-hmm. as Dan Aykroyd is touching different things to it. And you're seeing the reflection of the screen that's displaying stuff in on the dark glasses that Whistler is wearing mm-hmm. reflected on each glass. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit like the computer is his eyes. Yeah. Drawing that parallel, he's a bit like a computer. And when they make the connection to get the code breaker and suddenly everything just buzzes down his eyes and you can see, wow, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. It's just a really cool little fact. I'm assuming they have two monitors opposite him displaying this and they're just filming him and reacting to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's beautiful. It's wonderfully made. And it's just so... This film has taken a lot of care over what it's doing for a film that doesn't feel that big it it just it feels like a small film mm-hmm. except for the cast except for the cast yeah yeah i love it i love it i just i there's so many bits about it at every level that i can gush over and say it's so good the way it does this it takes so much care and attention over what it's doing mm-hmm. 
So this isn't my favorite thing, but it's something hmm. I really enjoyed in the movie. The relationship okay. between Martin and Liz. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know why they broke up. Nope. But we know that he was honest with her, that he trusted her about who he was. Mm-hmm. He didn't lie to her. He he lied to his business partners, which I, I get, right? I do. Mm-hmm. But he didn't lie to her. And any other movie, he would have, like, held up his alias as his identity with anybody that mm-hmm. he dated. And so I really appreciate that we had that foundation so that it made more sense when she did decide to help. And then in the end, when we're pretty sure they're probably back together. Well, and, and that's the nice thing, that they don't end up together at the end. Right. You didn't they're get that closer. big, like, swelling orchestra with the kiss. We didn't get yep, any of yep. that, which is nice mm. because it wasn't the point of the movie. And and to go back to, you know, James, Hearn, uh, James Horner's earlier work, Star Trek Two. it's the end of that with Kirk and Carol, Carol Marcus, mm-hmm. it would have been very easy to have, and because of all of this, they end up having a kiss or something at the end. And it's just, no, they've just been on an adventure together. Yeah. Mm. And it, it, it feels very much like that. It, it, you're right. It absolutely does look like they're going to get back together. So mm-hmm. That's fine. But it's interesting to come to this relationship where they've obviously broken up. We don't know why. But... There is enough mutual respect here. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, for a movie where the one of the plot drivers is the idea of too many secrets, for mm-hmm. him not to have had those secrets from her is absolutely lovely. yeah yeah. Now, my favorite thing, Go my on. very favorite thing about this movie is the end with James Earl Jones. Okay, right. Like, Joseph and I both were like, when when he called the NSA and we hear Agent Abbott on the phone, we're like, that mm-hmm. sounds like James Earl Jones. And He's then got James, quite a f- famous, distinctive voice. Yes, yes, very yeah. much so. Um, <laughs> and then he shows up at the end, and he, the guys start bartering for what <laughs> is the NSA going to do for them if they turn over Amazing. this box, mm-hmm. and you know. Dan Aykroyd wants a Winnebago, and James Earl Jones is like, what? Not so fast. I want a Winnebago. What? Fully equipped. Big kitchen, waterbed, AM, FM, CD, microwave. This is not a car dealership, pal. He wants a Winnebago. All right, a Winnebago. Thank you. Burgundy interior. <laughs> and then um, Sydney Poitier is, I want a Europe, a trip to Europe for my wife. And then they add on Tahiti, and James Earl Jones is like, Tahiti is not in Europe. So you know he's already agreeing to do the Europe thing, right? Now the box. <laughs> uh, I have never taken my wife to Europe. I'm sorry to hear it. Give me the box. You will buy me two round-trip first-class tickets to Athens, Lisbon, Madrid, and Scotland. Don't don't forget Tahiti. And Tahiti. Tahiti is not in Europe. Excuse me. When you get the box, then you give us geography lessons. Until then, this man goes to Tahiti. Fine. Tahiti. And then you get Carl... Little baby river phoenix just wants a woman's phone number. (laughs) No, I will not do this. Abby, Abby, 
Come on, now the FBI would give him twins. No! Wait a second. You can have anything you want, and you're asking for my phone number. Yes. 2739164. Erica 405. I'm Carl. I'm Mary. I'm going to be sick. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It brought back all of that wonderful levity that you've been talking about. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And it's not the way that you expect government capers to end. Mm-hmm. Right? You would expect mm-hmm. in this situation for the NSA to erase everything, including these people and their lives. Yep. And instead, they're giving them what they want. Nice. And I loved it. I absolutely loved the ending. It it made me smile, and things that make me smile just warm my heart right now. Mm. And it's like the, the particularly the bit with River Phoenix asking for the girl's number. Watching that in 2020 could be like, ooh. But actually, they thread that very well. It, mm-hmm. it is her choice to give him the number. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he asks for it. He doesn't, like, do anything mm. weird, right? Like, he's just like, I just want her phone number. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she is NSA agent Mary. Oh, she had a name. Is, Good. Is played by Amy Benedict, who was in an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Uh, of course she was. That's the <laughs> third most popular thing she was in. Um, I'll tell you what. So, so let's, let's do that on the flip side. This film has got a great A-list cast. All our primary players mm-hmm. are people you've seen elsewhere. Even even Whistler, who I think is the one who is least famous of them. Yes, I cannot remember the actor's name, but I've seen him in many things. Yeah, David Strathern. Strathern? Mm, not sure. Best way to say that. Um, I mean, he was in Billions and The Expanse, if people have watched them. He was in quite a few of them. He's in the new Godzilla movies. He's in all, all sorts of things. He's another actor you'd see cropping up. A bit like, oh, who's the William Sadler? He's that kind of guy. He was the dad in Everwood, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but after, after him, our secondary cast... It's one of those things that when you go back and watch something 20 years later, 20 plus years later, 20 (coughs) years later, Mm -hmm. that it's just a bit delightful where you go, oh, hey, look, it's Jonathan Kent. Oh, hey, look, it's Danny from the West Wing. Oh, hey, look, it's the doctor. That's who that was. I was, oh my gosh, yes. Thank you. Hey, look, it's the doctor from One Day at a Time and all of these sorts of things just people whose names you don't necessarily recognize but they have done a lot of parts and james l jones obviously is another one yeah Simba. <laughs> everything the light touches <laughs> this is also right around the time of field of dreams right um yes, maybe not sure to be honest with you but yeah, it's it's fascinating to return to a film like this and go, oh, it was that guy, oh, it was that guy. And, and I'm just clicking through some of the list. In fact, I'd never twigged that the guy who plays um, the mathematician. Gunter, oh, he's the guy that, from Blade. He's the guy from Blade. I had never twigged that. Ah. Uh, and we enjoyed him so much in Blade. Yeah. But this is thoroughly different. 
<laughs> I mean, he's always going to be the guy from yesteryear for me, but okay. because of that, I recognized him in Blade, so then I recognized him here. Yeah. And so, so you know, there's another example of a side thing. They steal this box from him. So they have this whole story written where he's having an affair with this other doctor that he works with, mm-hmm. this other mathematician that he works with. And you then have her finding Robert Redford stealing the box. Mm-hmm. Like... You don't need that scene. You just need them breaking in and maybe getting caught by a security guard or something. And then they get out. Well, yeah. I mean, they needed to get caught by somebody. But but it could just be... It could be absolutely disposable. Yeah. But they turn it into this whole big flourishing thing of, of Robert Redford, who is almost the least Robert Redford he's ever been in this. Robert Redford plays very knowing, in-control characters. Mm-hmm. Very charming, very suave. People who are moving strings around and making things happen as he wants them to happen. Right. But in this, he's always running to catch up and always trying to figure out what's going on and never quite on top of things. And when he's trying to convince her that he's been hired by this guy's wife and and what's happening and how she can help this guy and so on, and at the same time you've got the scene of Whistler and Sidney Poitier feeding him lines, trying mm-hmm. to make him laugh in the background... <laughs> It's delightful. And always give him head. <laughs> Help. Help. Be a beacon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good stuff. Good stuff. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, let's talk the scene. There is a scene. You know you know how every so often I reference and say there are things that enter the sort of um, social conscience. Okay. Consciousness of familial phrases. Jokes that you make with people because of shared experiences. Mm-hmm. And particularly from films. Lines from films that you use that you don't even realise you use anymore. Okay. This film has one of those because it is impossible, particularly with my parents. Shout out to mum and dad. Hi, mum and dad. <laughs> to drive over a road that has seams in the concrete without referencing this film. Okay. Usually a, or if we were in sneakers, we'd be having to remember the uh, distance between the seams and the concrete and how fast we're going. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it is also, when he's giving him the information about this and he's, he's changing the, the keyboard to make the noise, he's like, oh, they were further apart. Like, you don't know how fast you were going. Shut up. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think I think you could. I mean, the difference in the sound was significant between the fast one and the slow one. So I I, I buy it. It's it it is probably the most out there part of the story, I think. And I I agree, there are absolutely roads where it happens. There is a stretch of the M25 where it meets the A3 that is horrendous, which is the noisiest bit of road mm-hmm. and awful to drive on. You all people in the UK are listening, like, yeah, we hate it. It's like mm-hmm. five miles long, it's awful. But it's also kind of cool. The, 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 again Whistler gets this excellent moment where he sits down and he's like what did it sound like so he, he puts on a car noise and the guy you know, Robert Redford goes there was a recurring noise so he puts on a beat but a really slow beat in the background mm-hmm. that becomes that da-dump 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 when you're driving over a bridge that's been constructed in sections right and they're trying to work things out and they're trying to rule things out about what sort of day was it what sort of thing was going on with the bridges because it's a city with bridges but only a few it's not like it's a like new york mm-hmm. would have been very difficult to do this in and then again it's delightful because it ends in the joke of 
And then there was a cocktail party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just cut to a shot of all these birds squawking. Right, right. And you go, I can see how he thought that, but at the same time, not. <laughs> well, I mean, it absolutely to me sounded like a lot of people talking. And so what else would you call it, right? I mean, he knew it wasn't actually a cocktail party. Yeah. Like, he knew that. You could tell it by the way he said it, mm-hmm. the look on his face. But how else would you describe that sound? Yeah. I mean, because until they showed the birds, it, I didn't clock that they were birds making that sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, right. But I also don't think I've ever heard that many birds together at one time. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of birds. Mm-hmm. Ducks, maybe. I don't know what they were. Geese, possibly. Something. Who knows? So, yeah, no, I thought that whole... That whole scene was really, really well done. I Mm. don't, however, understand how he knew he was on a bridge. Because it's not just bridges here that have those seams in the concrete. No, but I think the way way they come is is definitely the sound of a bridge. Maybe. I think think concrete that is dug up and redone on a normal road Mm -hmm. you don't get that regularity to it for that stretch as well Mm. so maybe 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 i mean i did enjoy like all the logic how they ruled out which bridge it was and Mm -hmm. you know all of that stuff how they found where they were going i thought that was great Mm -hmm. and it's it's very nice again it's a very clever film because it gave us that information we had the noise when he was driving Mm -hmm. but you would just write it off as your sort of diegetic sound in the background right yeah, it's cool. Yep. It, it's the hard thing we often have when we talk about a, a, a really good film. Because a lot of the conversation is like, it's really good, and here's what it does really well. Yeah. You can't pick it apart and put it back together again, because I don't think I'd change this film. I don't think I would change anything in this film either. I mean, it is dated, but that's because it's 1992 and it's technology, mm. but that doesn't make it bad. No. Maybe, like, the, the argument we always have, particularly about films from this sort of era, more women. No reason half the crew couldn't have been women. But at the same time, like you say, it's dated. It's a sign of the times. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Did you tell us your very favorite part of this movie? Besides the whole movie? I think just the whole thing. It's just... You're cool. not allowed to do that. It's great. It's so... You know, let's let's get into her on the date with Stephen Toblowski trying to get him to say passport <laughs> and the ridiculousness of him and the fact he is really quite awful but she's going through with this yeah and then when it seems like she's caught and it seems like she's getting away and she makes just a flippant comment just trying to cover everything over and saying this is my last computer date and cosmo going no these two wouldn't have been paired up no right, it's not right. A thing. and it's just the film is not a sucker it, it's not getting away with things it is saying no if you say that to this character this character is going to think it through because he's smart yeah Mm. yeah great just just, it's just great and then it becomes a heist and then the film you know the film is a number of heists in a row because it again it's like mission impossible Mm -hmm. then it becomes a proper heist we've got this equipment we've got to get get through we've got this security voice thing that we've got to get through and then we've got to get people in the parking lot and you, you get the heist planning and you get the heist going on, as you should in any good heist movie. Love right. It. Yeah. Yes. Definitely more of a heist movie than a computer caper. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and I like heist movies. They're pretty good. So And that's that's why it's nice and grounded. It's not like hackers going computers are neon and skateboards and Right. Using technical lingo hack the planet jargony phrases. <laughs> right. There's yeah. none of that. It's just people who've been working in the field for many years who know what they're doing and have all the kit to be able to do it yeah because the problem is when you get young kids doing this stuff you go well where did they get that from okay well that means they've got to be rich white kids Mm. this is a nice interesting group of people coming together to do a thing it's cool so cool yep all right what's next mr matthew i'm not sure what's next we just had this conversation. I know. And then I closed the spreadsheet. Daywatch. <laughs> We're going to sneak up on Daywatch. We are. Ah, boom, boom. <laughs> Will you remind our listeners what Daywatch is? Daywatch, the sequel to Nightwatch. Ooh, imagine that. <laughs> oh. So we saw the excellent Russian urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. Last year? Was it last Halloween? Yeah, it was during Vampire Month. So it was last October. Was it Vampire Month? No, that wasn't a Vampire one. I mean, 2020 has lasted for six years so far. So That's who true. knows when the episode came out? When did we do that? I don't know. I don't know. So you're going to a spreadsheet. I'm just going to... No, I'm here. Googling. <laughs> episode 155. So 30 episodes ago. Uh, February. So beginning of the year. Yeah. Oh, it was my birthday, wasn't it? It was, yes. There yes, we go. This is your birthday episode. Uh, so, yes, so we're going to cover Daywatch, um, the sequel, which covers some of the book of Nightwatch and some of the book of Daywatch. Okay. Yes, there have now been six watch books. Wow. And for those of you who would like to follow along, it is available on Amazon in the States. Oh, cool. Not yes. Amazon Prime. Uh, you have to rent it, but it is there. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's not available anywhere over here, but let's have a look. Let's have a quick look. Uh, 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 Nightwatch is not. Daywatch is not. Bummer. Source lol. I mean, you can rent it. You know, it's on Google, it's on Amazon, it's on... Okay, so you can't rent it. It's just not on the subscription. It's just not on uh, free streaming service. Okay, got it. Mm. Yes, this is the 2006 follow-up to Nightwatch. Daywatch. Okay. I think I can throw out a recommendation for people if they want something joyous and fun in this um, time, however you want to describe this time, because we're coming up to the end of the Great British Bake Off for 2020. Uh, We do a podcast about that, myself and Catherine, my wife. We do Worth the Calories, where we talk about the bakes, we attempt the bakes, we eat the bakes. It's terrible. It's such a hardship having to do all this stuff. Um (laughs) And it's been really interesting and really good. So I would recommend looking at The Great British Bake Off, which in the US is available on Netflix on Fridays. Every Friday we get the new episode, yep. And over here, it's on the Tuesday before that on uh, Channel 4. And then Worth the Calories, you can find it wherever you want to. And we have a lot of people baking along with us, which is quite fun. Mm -hmm. People doing all sorts of bagels and upside down cakes and so on. Um, So look us up on Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, where we share what we've baked. And in our story, we throw up people who have done the bakes as well, um, because it's really cool to see all these people doing stuff and generally doing it better than us. So it's awesome. Like, I can learn from people, finally. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely second the recommendation. Worth the Calories has been amazing this season so far. (laughs) 
And I have not yet been able to attempt to bake anything, but I'm looking forward to, to finding something to bake. I'm sure there'll be something in the, in the series that you can. So, yeah, I, I say, you know, hit us up on social media to tell us about, you know, cakes and bakes and all sorts of things that you like. But go and find something joyous. Listen to Worth the Calories. Watch the Bake Off because it's a nice shining light in, you know, 2020. Yes, I, I tweeted um, the week the first episode came out and I got to watch that first one that just hearing the Bake Off theme music <laughs> just like relaxes me it calms me down it's so lovely mm. so very lovely yeah. so you can find me tweeting about such things on twitter at mandy k and i'm on twitter at matthew Vos. and we are completely funded by listeners like you through patreon anything you can give even if it's just one dollar a month it helps to support the network it helps us in developing our shows in launching our shows in baking in doing all sorts of stuff behind the scenes and it gives you a warm fuzzy feeling inside for supporting creators who put out content that i'm hoping you like and i'm sure you like and if you're listening to us and you want to find out more you can go to patreon.com slash gushing to get all the details And we will be back in two weeks with another episode where, as we just said, we will talk about Daywatch. So until then, I am Mandy Kay. And I want peace on earth and goodwill toward men and women. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.